I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2019 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. In today's program, we dig into some of the creative and challenging cover crop seeding methods and mixes that can shape a productive cover crop program. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series, Agronomy Matters, and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, to rejuvenate his 1,100-acre operation near Austin, Minnesota, strip-tiller and no-tiller Tom Cotter has committed to continuous and sometimes unconventional cover cropping practices. Over time, these have helped increase yields, generate more income from the same amount of land, and improve the quality and health of his soils, livestock, and crops in a geography that generates some challenges. Since 2004, Tom has experimented with covers, sometimes up to 17 different species, and has been unafraid to make mistakes and learn from them. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, Tom chronicles his successes and missteps with incorporating a compatible cover cropping strategy into strip-till and no-till environments. When I was asked to do this, I thought, why me? And I thought, well, you know what? I plant 1.7 billion seeds a year. That's a lot of seeds. It's not all corn, it's not all beans. It's everything, corn, beans, oats, small grains, cover crops, alfalfa. That's a lot of seeds to get out there. And I usually shoot for right around 30 to 40 square seeds per square feet. And then I thought, methods. I'm really flexible. I learned to adapt with the cover crop and the weather, kind of the jack of all trades that most farmers are. We're bankers, we're veterinarians, we're accountants, we do it all. We're welders, technology people. And then I thought mistakes. I said, hey, I'm a pro at this. I've made many. And right here, that's one of my mistakes for 143 years tillage. This field right here, we did, I had a Sarah Grant strip. We did tillage nonstop for well, 143 years. And I was doing no-till and covers on the side. Same chemical program, same everything. Look at the difference in the weeds. That's what tillage was doing for me. Oh, there's mistake number one. Now this year, I had to get a little more current. Here's my organic sweet corn. Yeah, I got a little, little uh, mistake there too, but that's strip till. I let someone else do the strip till instead of me. That's the kind of job I got out of it. So you live and learn, but I, I always say, I would rather fall down, get up, and make myself better than just always have good luck and always have success because you don't learn from that. Now, when I do my guidelines for my mixes, I have lots of things I look at. You know, what are my goals? What's the land history and the future? What's soil type, climate, livestock, tillage practices, and seed provider, and cost? Now, my goals, first thing I ever noticed was weed suppression, year one. Frank just said you won't see a difference. You'll see the weed suppression right away. 
if you do a good job on your cover crops. Water infiltration, for me, that's been huge. I'm in Minnesota, I get a lot of water, I can infiltrate. I also have tile lines, but I really feel that wherever that water during the winter time, it melts and we get all that ponding, that's where I need my most tile. Otherwise, my cover crops and no-till practices have helped my drainage even without tile and spots. Now, I'm always after wind erosion, water erosion, I wanna cut that down. Organic matter, who doesn't want more of that? I don't get caught up in testing though, because like I said, I can just go out and I can feel, I can look and I can see how good that soil is. That's how I gauge myself. I always like diversity. You know, I do grass-fed cattle. Diversity is a must. That's how you put the pounds on. Pest disease, cash crop. Are you gonna use that for a cash crop? Too many people think cover crop is just this one dirty plant that's gonna fill in the time that you're not having your cash crop. Well, it can be a cash crop also. A water holding capacity, that's huge. And that's the whole principles of covers and no-till or strip-till. And then of course I'm getting into organic too, so nutrient recycling. I think of all those things. Now land's history and future, what have you been doing for the last 10 years? What have you been doing for the last 40 years? It makes a difference. What is the future of your farm, cash crops, techniques? Everyone does it different. I can't stand up here and tell you guys that there's only one way to do something because it's your farm. You need to learn for yourself. Where's the money? Where do you save money? I know where the money is and it's not in soybeans. I took a field out of soybean production for hay production. To going into organic, more money in hay right now. I even got into the hemp world. That's where the money is. When you're doing covers, you learn to adapt and change very fast. Now, how do you take care of the land for future generations? It's not by doing all the tillage that Frank showed. Not that he was doing, he was showing what the neighbors are doing. That is not gonna get you future generation successful farming. And what can you do differently? Even when I think I'm doing things right, I'm always looking to see if I can do something else. The soils, heavier light, is it balanced? If I got really heavy soil, grasses are pretty dominant there. Real light soil, the brassicas take off and they do a really good job. But I really wanna get it balanced. How much moisture do you get a season? That determines what kind of cover crops I plant too. If it's really dry out, I'm not gonna go stick something that likes it wetter. This year, my sorghum sedan, about that tall all year long until just about the last week because we finally started drying up. We've had heat, but we just had too much moisture. Now it's starting to be able to breathe a little bit and boy, that stuff is shooting up great. Now, healthier abused. We all know that, just like in family life, healthier abused. Abused kid is never gonna have success, neither is the land. So make sure it's healthy. Do your best, take care of it. Chemicals used. If you always think you gotta be, use the biggest, baddest chemical out there in the cleanest fields, chances are you've been putting on too much chemical that might be detrimental to your cover crops. So always keep that in mind. I read at least 30 labels a year, and it's long, and it takes time. And I go ask my agronomist, and they have no clue, even though they're supposed to be the ones that have gone and done it. But when you get down to reading and really knowing what it is, they're not much further ahead than I am. Now climate, I'm in Minnesota, people down here, they plant totally different stuff than I do. Can we make it all work? Yes. Do we have to change it and make it fit to our climate? Absolutely. Now I look at temperature highs and lows, but right here, this is kind of my advantage. I can get things to overwinter pretty easy because like it says, my snow protects my covers. My covers protect my soil. My soil protects my livestock, which is soil microbes, worms, stuff like that. And then that livestock protects the world. Because the only way to keep the water clean is to keep the soil healthy. It's all connected.
We'll get back to our discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast possible. And welcome in Dr. Ray Acevedo, former assistant professor of precision agriculture at Kansas State University and consultant for TopCon Agriculture. In this week's technology tips from Dr. Ray, he discusses the potential of data as a commodity. All these companies want your information. What are they going to do with it? And should you be getting something out of it, monetarily wise, right, for that information? So that's an excellent question. There's two schools of thought here. Is that there's some, there's some people, some farmers out there, who are like, I don't care what they do with the data, long as they make it to where my operation is easier. And I, get bet, and I can produce better recommendations and make more profit acre that way. However, there's another school of thought is, is that I should be able to do, get that anyway because I'm paying for the service, right? But then if they want to take my information, my data that I've produced over the years and the, from the investment that I made, there should be a value to that data that they basically pay out for doing that. Is that right? And right now they're trying to avoid that like the plague, okay? But there are some companies out there right now, there is a movement to where to like, what is the value of your information? Kind of like data cooperatives that I've seen. There's one just outside of Kansas City, a couple hours from where I live, who've actually made successful sales of data. And that was all with the, the farmers were all in agreement with it. They, they decided to do that. So they put their data in that data lake and if any company wanted to use it, they would have to pay. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Tom Cotter on the advantages and considerations when grazing cover crops. Now, for me, I have grazing opportunities. Does anyone else in here have livestock? All right. It's amazing what livestock can do. I know on my farm, when I started doing covers, I didn't even bring the livestock into the operation. I kind of kept them separate, and I didn't know what I was doing. This is 20 years ago. I thought it was just a green thing that I was putting out there. I thought, just like before, I wanted, my dad wanted to see me work, so we went and planted that rapeseed. And that's what I called it, the green thing, because it wasn't called a cover back then. But nowadays, I love putting cattle out grazing. That makes the healthiest livestock you can get, because that's where they're meant to be. You can also do forage opportunities. Now that's me, uh, I don't think I'd do that. That looks pretty crazy to me, but that's a lot of forage. Up in Minnesota, last year I had my grazing plan all set out. I was moving the cattle along from paddock to paddock, and then the weather changed, and I realized, you know what? I'm really not gonna get to that furthest away paddock so I went and harvested that as forage. And that way I make sure I had something more because I was gonna be ahead of schedule. The weather changed. You have to be very flexible when you're doing covers and implementing on your farm because every year is different, every field's different, livestock are different. No tillage practices. Everyone here strip till? Probably not. Everyone here no till? No, we're all over the place. Everyone does it different. And every year I do it different. I pick out my practice for that field, that situation, that cover, that cash crop, what's gonna happen in the future. It's always changing. I've got some ground into organic, so I do a little bit of tillage. And you all, you saw my sweet corn, how much, how a failure that was. But even when I was doing that, my plan was to strip till and then do my sweet corn and then come back later and do my cultivation. And I actually have a, you know, no one time full disturbance. But you know what? 
Everyone's different, every field is different. No-till, I plant my covers different. Strip-till, for me, I love the strip-till, but I use that as a benchmark to get to no-till. Because I was using the equip programs to really, I got some really good money. Does anyone do any of that? Get on government programs and take that money? Don't take it and let it waste away. Take it, give yourself a goal that you want to get to, use that money to the max. I used it in massive covers. I put as much as I could, you know, I want to give my soil this big energy drink. I want to get them excited. And then I want to maintain it with other covers. But I kept using it as a jump start. Multi-cover, 17-way, 12-way. This year it's a 31-way, but you can use it to your advantage. Conservation tillage. I have canning crops. So sometimes they get out there and wreck the field. But like right here, I hate doing the vertical tillage, but it's a quick, easy way for me to plant covers. Lots of times I use it to get rid of maybe tracks, but I found that the more you consistently no-till, the more you consistently strip-till, it doesn't matter what you get for rain. When those combines come in, my soil can hold them up. Also bio strips. That's a whole nother tillage idea too. And I love that one. I'm, a lot of people are playing with that. That's gonna be really, really fun to do things with that. Now, when I'm doing my seeds, know your seed provider. Do you have your own seed? Has anyone ever used their own seed? Sometimes it turns out good, sometimes not. Make sure you get germ tested. How about neighbor's seed? That's a good way to make a, you know, wreck a friendship. Now, cost. My cost, when I first started, was six bucks an acre. I could buy rye for six bucks a bag. Now it's gone up, but with the cattle, I go higher. After canning crops, I go higher because I know I can utilize that, those covers much better. So I go up to $46. Most time you're gonna average right in that 18 to $35 range. Does anyone graze their covers that's here? And you, two, three, all right. What do you guys spend? Right in that range? You're probably cheaper than me. Ryan gets wild. Yeah. Well, you know what? You're going for more diversity. Yep. I really love diversity. Again, cheaper is not always better. When I seed, I really don't look at pounds. I look at seeds per square foot. And I also look if it's brassicas, if it's grasses. And of course, I usually at least have two to three of everything. Pretty much any time I seed, even if it's V6 intercede or wherever it is, I want that diversity. Get those roots established because yes, everything is gonna go dormant. It's gonna shut down when that corn shades everything out. You need to have a root system in place that that plant can survive on. So get your roots established. I don't worry about top growth. I always think get the roots established. So that's why really V3 to V4 is probably the best. But once you do that, you need to start looking at your chemical program. I graze, so I really have to get stringent because most pre-emergence herbicides are really not very good for grazing. And then of course I speak, so you got a big bullseye on your back. So I really gotta watch what I'm doing. Some people might try and get away with it. It's still off, you know, you're still going against the label, which is law. So you gotta be very careful on that side. Yeah. Which species are you Well, for me, annual ryegrass is kind of the staple program. And then I'll throw in love vetch, love red clover, Love some brassicas like a bayou kale. Those are staples, but I have done cow peas, Austrian peas, lots of other varieties. But crimson, I have a little, little harder time with crimson in that scenario. 
seems like my red clover just no matter what it does good. I also look at how tall the corn is, the stature of the corn. If I pick a variety that's gonna get 14 foot tall, inner season is gonna be pretty tough. I also look at leaves, how upright they are. You, know, you gotta think of all these things. Like I said, it's chess, it's not checkers now. So you gotta really cover all your bases. I even look at east, west, north, south rows. If I'm V6 inner seeding, I kind of like them east, west. If I'm later in the year, I like seeding them the other way then. That's just me. That's the way I see the sunlight hitting the ground. And you know, when you do this springtime, you can spread it on top. You can drill it for forage. Summer, I use a V6 uh, inner seeder that was a rotary hole, and I'll show you that later. I lightly incorporate it. I really think it, it limits me to like cowpeas. I can't get cowpeas to go as good because I'm not putting it nice into the ground. But if I got rain going, it does a really good job. Midsummer, early fall, you can, you can broadcast on top if there's a lot of moisture. If there's not, you better incorporate it, you better drill it. And of course, after harvest, get it in the ground. That's just, to me, that's number one. Because if you just throw it on top and think that later on in the year you're gonna get growth, you're gonna be way behind. I wanna get things established as soon as possible. Even like if you're gonna haul manure, get the cover crop going first, then haul manure. Because that one week or whatever it takes, you're gonna be that much farther behind on heat units. Now on my farm, I got many different ways. I never do it the same. I'm always switching around. I like to have options and see what's the best working for that year. So for me, I have a pendulum spreader. I'll show that. It's easy, quick run around springtime, fill in some bad spots. A floater truck. I really don't like using that, but I will say last year when they were picking my sweet corn and it was raining about two inches and it was September 15th, I thought, boy, I can either go get it seeded right now or I might have to wait about two or three weeks and then my cover crop starts growing, trying to grow in October, mid-October. I know it's gonna set me back. So I chose to take that floater truck, ran out there with less than ideal conditions, but the situation said, go plant it. And I did, and I was even sliding around on the corners and that stuff came up excellent. Would I do that every year? No. That situation, absolutely. Think about that stuff. Enter uh, Cedar, that game, the air box, I bought that thing for, I think 600 bucks back in 1998. That box, you, you can't touch that box for under $4,000 right now, because everyone wants a box. Because that tool goes from my inner seeder to my VT to a disc, most versatile tool I have on the farm. I should be putting it on my planter also. Now, rotary hole incorporation. I like that after like soybean harvest. It's really nice to go combine during the day in soybeans. And the next morning I can hop up and I can go seed 150 acres in about two hours. That rory hole just lightly punches holes in the ground. I pull the seed, I can pull a seed wagon with it, spreads it out, does a beautiful job. And of course the disc seeder, the bad word and no-till, strip-till, disc, that's not a very good thing. But you know what? That was my tool that got me to where I am. Remember how I said back in 1874, my great-great-grandpa had to plow the ground? because he had to. For me, I was doing tillage 25 years ago. So I had to use what I had, and that's how I did it. Did I stick with it? Absolutely not. Did I learn from it? Absolutely. Use your tools, take steps, learn as you go. And I knew right away that I was doing all this tillage, and I was planting these beautiful cover crops, and I'd take two steps forward with that cover crop, 
Then I do that tilt and I take one step back. You know, it's hard to gain, but I could see the differences. Well, thank you, Tom, for sharing your experiences and insight into developing a productive, efficient covered cropping system. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Strip-Till, F-A-R-M-R, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2019 podcast series. And a reminder that you can listen to past episodes at striptillfarmer.com. For Tom Cotter, Topcon Agriculture, and our entire staff here with Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. <music>